0: We're gonna be jumping around in scriptures, but we're gonna use Ephesians chapter six as our jumping off point if you want to turn there with me. Ephesians is one of the church epistles. It's towards the about three-quarters of the way through the New Testament. Most of the epistles were written by Paul to different churches. Some of them he wrote while he was in prison. Verse number 10, chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I think it's very important as Christians that occasionally we take the time to get refocused on who our enemy is, because too often we think our enemy is our neighbor, now, our enemy is not our neighbor. Even if they have vastly different beliefs than us. Even if they're Seminole fans. They're not our enemies. There's still hope for them to be saved. Our enemies, we, as Christians, we wage and we fight in a spiritual war. Not a carnal war. Now I understand how easy it is to drift in that because we see the carnal. We see the evil that's right in front of us. But understand that the most evil person you can think of on this planet, Jesus Christ died for that person just as much as he died for you. And we can't lose sight of the fact that people are not our enemies. The Bible tells us who it is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against who? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's sin that we wage a war against. It's Satan we wage a war against. But we're not waging it alone. We wage it with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of confusion out there. You know, Some of you know that I'm on social media quite a bit. I like to try and deal with different ways to get the word out. And I'm out there on social media. I'm doing different things. And, and there's one of the great things about social media is you can take a message and it, and it can spread like wildfire. I've had things that have been shared six, 700 times with other people. And that's great. It gets that, that little bite-sized message out there to people. The other side of that coin is it's really great at, at, at dis, uh, disseminating bad information and tainted information. And the worst bad information, the worst tainted information that's out there is information that disguises itself as being something good, disguises itself as being something righteous. You see, Satan is a mimicker. He's a copier. And he will take the things of God and he will twist them just a little bit so that it's 90% right and 10% wrong. Sometimes it's 99% right and 1% wrong. But understand, with God's holiness, even that little taint of sinfulness makes the entire thing wrong. I liken it to a glass of nice cold water. Who wouldn't like a nice glass of cold or how about a nice glass of cold sweet tea right now? Wouldn't that be good? Now, nobody's going to listen to anything I've got to say anymore except just be thinking about getting out of here and getting some sweet tea. But if I brought you a glass of sweet tea and I said, but wait a minute, let me just put a pinch of rat poison in there. It's 99% sweet tea, right? But that 1% has changed everything because now it's not a glass of sweet tea, it's a glass of poison. We need to be very discerning. I saw a video the other day of a, of a man that he said that he died and he went to hell. He died, he went to hell, and he saw Satan there. And Satan, you know, scared him. And, and so because of that, now he's come back and, and, and he, is, he is trying to live his life for God now because of that. And people are like, you know, Christians on there are like, oh, amen, that's great, that's great. No, it's not great. There's a, couple, there's a whole bunch of problems with that. But one of the problems... If you were to go to hell today, you know who you will not see in hell today? Satan. Satan has never seen the inside of hell. Did you know that? Not yet, exactly. I don't know who said it, but somebody said it, not yet. That's Satan's final resting place. Actually, he goes there for a thousand years, comes back out, gets cast back in there. Until that thousand-year reign, Satan doesn't see hell. That's why people are like, oh, I smelled brimstone. Smoke and brimstone, that has to be satanic. Why would Satan, by the way, the Bible says Satan, when he was Lucifer, was was the most beautiful of all the angels God ever created? Why would he smell like smoke and brimstone? But we get these ideas in our minds from TV and everything, and we lose sight, and, and Satan does that on purpose. He does that on purpose because he wants to distract us from the truth. You ever read the screw tape letters? There was, there's a play also, a stage production of the Screw Tape Letters. Basically, it's two demons that are having a conversation. I'll, I'll kind of simplify it down. It's hours long. But at one point in there, the young demon's like, hey, we can do this, and we can do this, and we can do this, and really cause chaos and havoc in the world, and all these things, and the older demon says, no, 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 that's not how it works. Because if we do that, then the world will know we're real. And once the world knows that we're real they'll start fighting against us. He says, we stay in the shadows. We control things from the side. We do these things from very, very subtly. That's how we destroy the world. And I'm paraphrasing, the conversation is much, much longer. But this is how Satan works. Satan is, is very subtle, and he, he tries to change things through movies, through TV, through, through just vain imaginations of man. He changes things so that we start to believe a lie, and once we believe a lie, then we don't even really know who our enemy is. It becomes easy to lash out to anybody that's attacking us. If it's somebody that has sin and they attack the church or they attack the Bible or they attack Jesus, and then we we attack back because we think they're our enemy. They're not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. It's easy. And our nation's under attack. Our families are under attack. Our our individual selves are under attack churches are under attack. Like I've never seen in my lifetime before. The things that they're trying to do, they're trying to, to make portions of the Bible illegal. The Bible has been banned from some school systems because it, you know, it, it teaches something that, that is contrary to what the world teaches. And they're trying to ban it. It's been banned in many countries. They're trying to ban it in many other places. Now, fortunately, we still have, at least higher up, we have a court system that pushes the, the Bible back into the, into the, the libraries. But prayer has been taken out of school. We allowed it. We allowed Bibles to be removed from the classroom. We allowed it. We didn't stand up to fight against it. And Satan just slowly pushes the agenda. And pushes and pushes. They talk about a slippery slope. Literally the world lives on a slippery slope. And Satan and his helpers are behind all this. Whether his helpers are the demons or his helpers are other humans, his helpers are behind it. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about Satan and his helpers because we need to understand our enemy. We need to understand who he is. And we need to understand what we can do to defend ourselves. Where we were just reading in Ephesians chapter 6, it says in verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord. And then in verse number 11, it says, stand against the wiles of the devil. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see the picture that's here? Our job is is simply to stand and proclaim that truth. We don't have to storm the gates of hell, even if Satan was there. We don't have to storm the gates of hell. Why? Because that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to recreate anything or or go to any new programs or anything that comes from the vain imagination of men. We're to declare the Bible and stand steadfast, stand strong. People say the Christian life can be hard sometimes. Christian life really isn't that hard. Life is hard. Life in general is horrible with all the the pain and the diseases and the sicknesses, the betrayals. But you add the Christian part in the mix, it's not any harder. It's actually easier because now you're not doing any of that alone. You've got a company. You've got somebody to help you. So we submit ourselves, therefore, to God. We're not standing out there by ourselves. We're joining his ranks when we submit ourselves to God, we're falling into our gap. We're falling into the place that he's designed for us to stand. I remember when I was playing football, I played defensive line. Anybody play football in here? A couple people, what'd you play? Everything. Anybody, Anybody else play line? Defensive line, offensive line? You know what my job on defensive line was? Hit that gap. My job was to get through the gap. You know what the other side, their job was to do? Stop the gaps and not let me through. That was basically it. You know, we, we had plays, and I didn't have to worry about what the linebackers were doing. I didn't have to worry about what the safeties were doing. They had their jobs. All I had to worry about was my three feet. Whether I went this side or whether I went this side. Sometimes they put me in a stunt and I'd have to go like six feet. Woo! Then, but once you've made it through the gap, then you've got to find you know, who's got the ball. It's a pass play or a run play. But, but if it's a run play, you fill that gap. And you don't let the runner through there. You don't worry about what's happening in that gap or this gap. There's other guys to fill those. You fill your gap. That's the Christian life. We don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. We don't have to worry about what the people behind us, in front of us, or side by side of us, what they're doing. We have to fill our gap. Whatever your gap is. This is my gap. This pulpit. Danny's gap is over here. He's music. Justin's gap is back there. You know, Justin, Justin came up here to fill in for me one time. He, he preached one time. You know what he told me when he was done? Never doing that again. <laughs> Smart guy. Knows his Bible. This isn't his gap. That's his gap. I can do this. You know what I can't do? I can't do that anymore. It's too complicated back there. I used to be able to run that thing, and now I get back there and I'm like, if I do anything back there, I try to put it back the way it was just so Justin won't yell at me. But we have our gaps. What is your gap? Find your gap. Maybe your gap is Sunday school. Maybe your, maybe your gap is is cleaning the church. Maybe maybe your, your gap is children's services. We all have a gap. And the only way that Satan makes any headway is when some of us aren't Filling our gaps. And unfortunately, in Christianity as a whole, there are a lot of people that aren't filling gaps. That was the introduction. Now we get on with the sermon. I want you to see a few things real quick this morning. <laughs> About Satan and his helpers. Because I want you to understand them a little bit better. First of all, Satan is powerful. Satan is so powerful. He's, he's been, he was, he was, most people think he was an archangel. They believe Lucifer was an archangel. They think Lucifer, um, Gabriel, and Michael were three archangels, the most powerful of all, all the angels. you got to kind of stretch the scripture a little bit to get there, but it's not unbelievable. These three are, are, are talked about. Of course, Gabriel are talked about in the Bible. Very few angels are, are named in the Bible. Well, we got a few they believe that these were the were the archangels these three and so if being an archangel he'd be more powerful than all the angels and we see in the Bible some of the powers that, archang- that that just regular angels have they can cause blindness they can destroy cities they can do all kinds of things very very powerful creatures these angels and these are the most powerful of angels. so Satan's a powerful being. he's not Lucifer anymore. he's Satan now but there's no indication that he gave up any of those powers that God had given him And we know that he can do things. We know that he's very, very powerful. And for us to just try and and fight against Satan by ourselves, well, that's a losing battle. That's like an ant trying to stand up to me. Might get a good bite in, but then he's going down. So we're not called to fight against him because he's so powerful. We've got Jesus Christ on our side, who is more powerful. You see, as powerful as Satan is, God is more powerful. Satan can cause sickness and death, but our God is the great physician. All good healing comes from him. Satan can cause accidents. He can incite trouble. He can whisper in the ears of Christians and get them to think things and say things that that they wouldn't normally think and say. He can trick us. He can cause us to stumble. But Satan is a created being. Never forget that. That's important. It's important to know that he's a created being because a created being can be in one place at one time time. That's it. Some people said, oh yeah, Satan is here this morning. Well, doubtful. I, I pray for the day that we are making an impact in the kingdom of God so much that Satan shows up in our church. That would actually be a good day because that means we are doing something powerful for God. Satan is most likely in a on a throne somewhere or Whispering in the ears of the throne, somebody on a throne somewhere, somewhere where he he can have a a bigger impact on this world. But his demons are here. Make no doubt about that. When Jesus Christ, when when Satan left heaven, he took with him a third of the angels, went with him. That third of the angels went with him. We call them demons today. And they live, their home is this earth. By the way, the earth is Satan's home, not hell. He lives here. And a third of the angels came with him. Those third of the angels, we don't know how many that is. But we know that God has two angels for every one of Satan's demons. That's how math works. And there's probably demons here. I can almost guarantee there were demons here last Sunday. How many of you got to enjoy that? Everything was breaking back there. Things were happening, and then I got up in the pulpit, and I I went blind. (laughs) My migraine kicked in, and I couldn't see, and I'm like looking at my notes. I'm like, they're there, but I couldn't make out the words. It was fun. I'm going to have to go back and listen. I didn't listen to last week's sermon yet. I was scared. may have to go back and listen to that. It was a good time last week. But Satan was afraid of something, or his demons were afraid of something, and they were messing up everything last week. But we were faithful. We stood. We stood and we filled our gaps, no matter what the persecution. He has limited knowledge. God knows everything. Turn, turn with me. Let's go back to Psalms 139. I want you to look a couple of these up with me. Psalms is in the very middle of the Bible, it's the biggest book of the Bible. It's usually the easiest one. I remember as a kid, I would always look for Psalms. And then because I kind of knew where other books were in relation to it. So if I could get to psalm, I, I knew I could get wherever else I needed to get. Psalm was always an easy one. 139 psalm. I want you to see our God. Where Satan can only be in one place at a time, this is talking about God. David is, is talking to God here. And he's asking some kind of rhetorical questions. But in 139 Psalm, verse number 7, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? In other words, where can I go that's away from you, God? He's not asking because he's trying to get away from God. This brings him comfort, by the way. Or "Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and, and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Where are we going to go to get away from God? Where are we going to go that God can't see? Like I said, Satan is not here this morning. He can't see what we're doing this morning. He'll get the report in triplicate from his demon, but he can't see us right now. But God is here. God is right here. And he sees every single thing. Now that can either bring you a lot of fear, or that could be a great comfort. For David, it was a great comfort. Despite all of David's misgivings, despite David's failings over and over, God was still there, and God could still see. He took great pleasure in that. Satan has limited knowledge. God knows everything. You're in 139 Psalms. Go back up to verse number one. It says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought after afar off. Thou passest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. He knows everything about us. He knows everything. Not even does he know it, but he knows the truth behind it. That last verse talking about our words, I mean, we can say words. And we may think something else in our heart, but we say it with our mouths and people believe something different, right? God sees the intent of our hearts. He sees the truth behind our words. He knows exactly what's going on inside of our heads, inside of our minds. Because why? Because He is all knowing. Satan only knows what he's seen and what he's experienced, by the way, which is vast. It's vast because he's been here so long, doing it for so long. And he has this, a very high intelligence, but he's limited. God knows everything. He's everywhere and he knows everything. And then go to Genesis chapter 18 with me. Genesis, of course, is the first book of the Bible. It's the book of beginnings. One of the most attacked books in the Bible because of what it proclaims. People say it's the cornerstone of the Bible. Satan attacks that cornerstone because he knows if he can break that, he can break anything. Genesis chapter number 18, verse number 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return to thee according to thine time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? If you write in your Bibles, you may want to underline that phrase: "Is anything too hard for the Lord?" Again, it's a rhetorical question; he's not asking a, a, a for a response here. But here he's he's come to uh, to, to uh, Abram and, and Abraham and, and Sarah, and he's he's told them they're going to have a son, and they're pretty old. Matter of fact, they're older than anybody here, even Harmon, and they're up there. And he's come to him, he says, "I'm going to give you a son." And ladies, if you're If you were ninety-nine or hundred years old, and God said He's going to give you a son, you'd probably react the same way she did. She chuckled. (laughs) Why? Because for a moment she doubted God's power, and God had to remind them: "Is there anything too hard for me?" He created the universe with a word. You don't think He can make an older woman get pregnant? By the way, Abraham, he said he's willing to try. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Satan and his helpers are powerful, but God is more powerful. First John 4:4 4, 4 says, "Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world." Remember, we said Satan lived where his residence is, where the demons' residence is. That's the world. You could take it beyond that. All the people, all the countries, all these powers, and the, you know, the billionaires, and the, and the millionaires, and all the, those that want to do evil against the world, and, and these, these dictators, and shooting off their missiles in their mouths, and all this other stuff that's going on out there. And we look at that, and we, but we have to remember, God is greater than all that. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He resides inside of you. Sometimes that just blows my mind, that the power that created the universe resides inside of the Christians. What do I have to fear? This power is much more powerful than anything Satan can dream of. Anything Satan can throw at me. Secondly, Satan can take a lot away from us. He can cause a lot of damage in your life. He can, take, he can uh, cause turmoil in your life. He can hurt people in your life. He can do a lot of bad things in your life but he can never separate us from God. He does not have that power. We look at the life of Job. Job took, uh, or Satan took Job's cattle, uh, his camels, his servants. He killed his children. He infected him with boils, uh, sickness. He sent friends to comfort him. <sighs> we all need some friends like that. I think we all have some friends like that. I mean, he took everything of value. The only thing he left him was those friends and his wife. What a lovely creature she was. And her advice to him was just to to die. Why don't you just go die? What a lovely lady she was. But before he could do that, he had to have God's permission to do that. And when it was all said and done because of Job's faithfulness, God restored it all. And then some. He got more kids. He got more cattle than he ever had before. He got more of everything. Still that one nagging wife, but still. Other than that, other than that, things were pretty good for him after that. Why? Because God is in control. Satan can do bad things, but God is still in control. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. By the way, if you're looking for a verse to memorize, this is a good one. Part of our our, um, class that we do um, on Sunday nights, our continued classes, we have memory verses that we have to memorize. This is a great memory verse if you're looking for one to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10.13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that year able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a powerful verse. We need to understand that with the temptations we go through, the things that we're facing, the trials that we're facing, the tribulations that we're facing, these are common. Now, they may not seem so common when they're on our backs, but they're common to mankind. It's nothing that God hasn't seen before. And he will always give us a way to be able to escape. He'll always give us a way to be able to to make it through those times. And we look at the disciples when they were on the sea. And the storm came up. Jesus is sleeping down below. And they were afraid. But Jesus had told them, he said, he told them, he said, yo, get in the boat and go to the other side. They were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do, but they got afraid instead. And they woke him up. And he rebuked them. And then he rebuked the storm. Just a, a few chapters later, they're in the boat again. This time, Jesus isn't with them. And they're in the boat, and Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side. And you know what happened? Another storm came up. This time, Jesus came walking to them on the water. Of course, they thought it was a ghost at first, because they'd never seen anything like that before. They thought it was a ghost or a spirit or something, and Jesus said, you no, know, no, no, it's me. But you notice, they didn't ask him this time to take the storm away. You know why? Because Jesus told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And in their minds, they at least con- got themselves to the point that they knew if Jesus tells us to get to the other side, we're going to make it to the other side. The boat might not make it to the other side. We may be clinging to a, a piece of, a, of a debris when we get there, but we're going to make it to the other side because Jesus said he was, we were going to make it to the other side. There's a powerful picture here. We need to understand that God is in control. It's not up to us. It's up to us to fill our job, to fill our gap. And Satan may seem powerful. He may seem like he can do a lot of damage to us, but understand, God is stronger. God is bigger. Look look at Romans chapter number 8. you got your four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you've got the book of Acts, kind of a transitional book, getting into the church age. And then we've got the book of Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans. We got a little bit away from it because of some other things, but we're going to be getting back to that before the, the end of the summer. We'll be getting back to our verse-by-verse study of the book of, of Romans. But in Romans chapter number 8, I want you to see something in, in verse, towards the end of the chapter, verse, starting at verse number 35. Because Satan can do a lot of things, but he does not have the power to separate us from God. In Romans chapter number 8, verse number 35, it says, another rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty extensive list. Did you see who was on that list? The same people we do war against, as powers, as principalities. Did you see who else is on that list? created things, nor any other creature. Do you know who that includes? Satan. He's created. He cannot separate you from God. He will tell you he can. Sometimes he'll whisper in your ear and lie to you enough that you think that he has. But he cannot. We got lots of parents in the room. We're going to be celebrating Father's Day next week. And as parents, particularly as your kids get older, you You go through those periods of time where your kids, sometimes they disappoint you. Sometimes, I've known families that have gotten to the point that that if father and son were in the same room, you wouldn't even know they were father and son. Because they've grown so much apart and there's such a wall between them. There's so much damage and so much hurt that's gone on there. So much rebellion and so much pain that's taken place that you wouldn't know they were father or son. But you know what? They're still father and son. See, no matter how much we rebel against God, as a Christian, he's still my father. I can shake a fist at him like a backpack. I can can run from him like Jonah. But he's still my father. And just like my earthly father or your earthly father, or, or if you are the earthly father and you've got the disobedient child, all it takes is for that disobedient child to come to the father and say, what? I'm sorry. And you know what happens The walls come crumbling down between those two. The relationship begins to be restored. The hugs start coming. It just takes the rebellious child to say, I'm sorry. If you're a Christian today, but you've built a wall between you and God, understand that wall is real. It doesn't separate you from God. He is still your father. And all it takes is for you to go back to him and repent once again. Not for salvation again, because you're already his child. You're already saved. But to restore that relationship again. As you become more and more mature in the faith, you're going to realize this is is going to be an ongoing thing. Where we mess up and we have to go back and say, God, Father, Abba, I'm sorry. And he restores us. Just like the prodigal son. He puts the ring on our hand, puts the coke on us. He restores us back again. He may hurt us, but God is stronger. He cannot separate us from God. Thirdly, Satan may cause us heartaches and trouble now, but God wins in the end. God's word tells us of a time about how Satan will try and destroy God's people. Throughout history, he's tried to destroy God's people. tried to kill the Jewish males in Egypt, but God saved Moses. He tried to kill the Israelites at the Red Sea, but God made a way and destroyed the enemy. He afflicted God's people through the Midianites, the Amorites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greek, the Romans, but God always spared a remnant. And those nations were destroyed. God was there when David stood before Goliath. He was there on Mount Carmel when Elijah took on the prophets of Baal. Satan and his demons possessed and afflicted hundreds of people in the New Testament, but Jesus and his apostles cast him out and made him run with his tail between his legs. He tries to destroy the church, but God uses the persecution of the church to spread the church, and to spread his word. Satan may cause pain and suffering, and sometimes even death, but justice is coming. Turn to the last book of the Bible. Turn to the book of Revelation with me. Revelation chapter number 20. We did a verse-by-verse through the Book of Revelation a few years back. That's all still, um, I think it's still archived on Facebook. I'm not sure, but it is archived on our podcast site. If you go on the one of our podcast sites, you can find that. Our verse-by-verse study. It's a very fascinating book. It's a fascinating book because it's it's one of those books of prophecy where some of it's come true already, and some of it we're still waiting on, and some of it, a lot of it's happening right now. We can see that prophecy being completed. But in Revelation chapter 20, we, we get a, a sight into the future. We get to look into the future. And it tells us in verse 1 through 3, it says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and put a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed for a little season. Then drop down to verse number 7, because after that season is over, we see, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison." And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of which is is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is how it ends. This is how this ends. Satan is given a, a, a long leash right now. But I've read the end of the book. And where things may seem bad from time to time, we can comfort ourselves. One of the reasons why God gave us this is not because we're gonna we're, we have to experience this ourselves to give us hope to know that this is a defeated foe. Technically, Satan was defeated before the foundation of the earth. Most of the time we point to the fact when Jesus Christ walked out out of the grave is when the nails were put into the coffin of Satan. So today, no matter how powerful Satan is, no matter how powerful his demons are, understand they have already lost the war. Or it may seem like they win a battle here or there, understand—they're defeated. The power that's inside of you, that is greater than them, has already defeated them. Turn to First Peter with me. First Peter, just a few books back from Revelation, back towards the front. 1 Peter chapter number 5 verse 6 gives us some instructions on how to survive this time on how to do what we need to do. Chapter 5 verse 6 says humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That's how we can resist him. These are our marching orders. We are are a guard standing post in our gap. And in our gap, our little tiny world, that little spot that's in front of us, God is calling us to be vigilant there, to be sober there, to, to pick up the cause there, Don't worry about the person beside you. Don't worry about the person behind you. Be sober. Be vigilant over your post. Resist the devil. Some people say, I don't want to just stand and take it. I want to resist. Well, what's the difference between standing and taking and resisting? How do we do that? How do we fight back? Satan wants to discourage you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to hinder you. And we can resist that by staying true to God by staying faithful to him. We need revival in our churches, but revival in our churches starts with revival in our hearts. And We we don't get revival in our hearts just by wanting and thinking happy thoughts. We need to bring revival into our hearts. We bring revival into our hearts first and foremost by by reading the word of God. I am shocked when I talk to other pastors and they come up with these off-the-wall theories about Jesus and about God and things. I'm like, have you even read your Bible? We need to read it. Part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to recall things that we've read from the Bible. If you never read your Bible front to back at least one time in your life, that information is not stored in your brain, so he can't recall it. And then we go through turmoil. We're like, why does it feel like I'm all alone? Because you chose to be all alone. Even though you're not. You still have God, but you've, you place such a distance there because you refuse to even read his word. We need Revival. We need faithful church attendance. There are people that aren't here today. There are people that are sitting around you that are normally sitting around you that aren't here today. Will you take it upon yourself to call them and make sure they're okay? Because it's one of two things. Either they're not okay, and they need help, and they need prayers, or they are okay, and Satan's starting to get the better of them. Give them a call. The job of the church, by the way, that is us, The job of the church isn't to beat people when they're down. It's to edify, to build up. That's what that word means, build up, to lift up. And we see somebody struggling. We start saying, hey, that pew is empty. They used to sit right there. Where are they today? We give them a call. Maybe that's all that's needed. Maybe they're going through something, and they need somebody to come up alongside them. Not to to teach them what to do, not to tell them what to do, just let them know that we're there with them. We're there with them. We need faithful church attendance. We need faithful prayer. We need faithful Bible study and witnessing. We'll have our, our study tonight. There will be less than 10 people there. we got over 50 here this morning. Wednesday night, because we've got food, we'll have about 20 maybe, 15, 20. Where's the faithfulness? I'm not trying to to guilt you. I don't talk about this very much because I don't want want you to come tonight because you're feeling guilty. I don't want you to come on Wednesday night because you're feeling guilty. I want you to come on Wednesday night because you want revival in your heart. And that comes through prayer. That comes through being around God's people. That comes around around people that you can not only edify, but that can also edify you. We need that faithfulness. We want to stand up against Satan. You want to come to a potluck? I feel like, I'm scolding this morning. Does it feel like I'm scolding this morning? If it does, bear with me because we're almost done. Satan wants to stop you from serving God, he will do everything in his power to stop you from serving God. Vacation Bible School is coming up. We still need volunteers, there's still time for you to jump in and volunteer. We can still run your background, we can still get you cleared, we can still get you in there in time, and you can help. We'll find a place for you. Late date, you might not be doing a whole bunch. You might be doing a lot. You might not be doing a whole bunch, but you can do something. You can come on Wednesday and help decorate this room. Get it ready for the kids. When the kids come in, they they have a a, a wonderful experience. (coughs) But Satan wants to stop you from serving God. And he'll do everything in his power to do it. Last year at Vacation Bible School, by the way, I made it through COVID, working in the hospital. I stood in the rooms before we even really understood what COVID was. I stood in the rooms and held the hands of people while they were dying as they took their last breath. Never got a sniffle. Never had a problem. Leave the work at the hospital. I'm just out in the community. The wave of of COVID is over. You're just isolated little things and all. And V and I catch the Delta variant, which is the worst, the worst of the variants that wasn't even being spread in our community at the time. The doctor's like, We don't know how you got this. Nobody else has got this one. This one went away a year ago. We were just holding it at home, saving it. We were out for two weeks. We missed all of vacation Bible school last year. Satan didn't want us serving. Vacation Bible school starts on Sunday. Last night, V started running a fever. <laughs> yay. She's actually, she's probably already texted me. She was going to get tested this morning, just to be sure. She said, I really don't feel like I've got it because we know what it felt like. She says, it doesn't feel the same. But she was going to go get tested just to be on the safe side because we don't want to spread it to the kids. So, But even if she's got it, that's a week away. She'll probably be done with it. But we'll see. We had it two weeks last time. I'll probably get it next Friday. <laughs> if you get here next Sunday and I'm not here and Rachel's pulled all her hair out, that means I've got COVID. Satan wants to destroy us. He wants, to, he wants us to continue to preach. He wants us to continue to proclaim God's, God's word, but, but Satan wants to stop us. He wants to stop us from doing that. So he makes us feel guilty about it. He puts a, a blockades in our way. He wants to destroy our family and our friends, but we can resist him by praying for them and telling them about God. We're still going to invite people to church. We're still going to tell our friends and family about God. We're still going to, to pray for God's protection, no matter what Satan does. Satan wants to be glorified and worshiped. That's why Hollywood exists. Hollywood is all about glorifying Satan. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not subtle at all. But that's why it exists. Most of the entertainment industry in the world, exists to glorify Satan in one form or another. And it's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to get caught up in those songs and into those TV shows and into those movies. And it's easy to get caught up in those things. We have to be careful. We have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. Why? Because he's walking around. Notice he's not running around. He's walking around because he knows we're not even ready for him. He's just walking around seeing who he can eat up. Satan wants to be glorified and worshiped. We can resist him by glorifying and worshiping God. Not just here on Sunday mornings, not just at the potluck. Everywhere we go in the community. As we leave out of here and we go to work or we go to store or we go to our families, we need to be carrying God with us everywhere that we go. I'm going to continue to pray for God's protection, strength, his wisdom for every single one of us. I pray that as I pray for you, that you'll pray for me. I pray if there's any here today that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today will be that day. I pray that you won't go through this, this life alone. I pray that you'll continue to stand in your gap with Jesus Christ at your side.